Listening Dog Media. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Premier League striker Charlie Austin plays for Southampton, but his journey to the English top flight started in the non-league at Kimbury Rangers and Hungerford Town. Working as a bricklayer in his early playing years, the football career he knows today is worlds away from the life he once knew. But one thing has always been the same, his ability to score goals. Success at Poole, Swindon and then Burnley would ultimately lead to a Premier League debut for QPR in 2014-15. And that same season, he received a first call-up to the England national team. Charlie sits down with the offside rule to discuss his unusual pathway to the top, the managers who helped shape his career, the big characters in dressing rooms and also shares his views on academies. This episode is guest edited by Sarah Shepherd, who writes for The Coach's Voice. The Offside Rule Exclusives with Kate Borsay and Lindsay Hooper. Well, we're joined by Charlie Austin as he's taking some time out as he recovers from an injury. And um, I just want to start uh, by asking you about that moment, because every professional footballer you speak to them, and is, there's a moment when you sign that first contract. And what do you remember about it, that feeling and the build up to it? Obviously, I was at Port Out time, went to Swindon, and my dad come, come with me then. I never had an agent at all, but we just went and signed the forms, and I was so excited, nervous, didn't really know what to expect. And then when I signed it, I just couldn't wait to get going. It was something that I've always dreamt of, of doing, signing my first professional contract, but I knew there was a, a big mountain to climb and a lot of hard work to start happening now. Going back, you are one of the footballers that's had the journey through the leagues. Not many can say they've gone from non-league all the way through. Just wondering in terms of the the boy that started out playing football to that moment, how difficult it was? Up to 14, everything was great. I was at Redden Academy, it was all fine. I thought, yeah, it was like every boy is going to be a, a footballer. It'd be brilliant. Then I got released. And then for the next two years, obviously still had two years left at school, and that, that kind of found it was tough. I, for some daft reason, I started being naughty at school. Don't ask me why. <laughs> My dad owned a building firm, so I kind of knew that, oh, well, if I don't get good grades, I'm just going to go and work for him, so it was fine. So that was the case. I went to work for him, played non-league, and earned a couple of quid playing that, uh, plus me building money. And I, I was happy. It was, it was good fun, but it still wasn't what I wanted to do. And as the years were going, I was, my teenage years were obviously coming to an end and I thought, oh, I'm never going to be a maker footballer. I'm going to have to just play as high in the non-league as I could possible. Um, and I was fortunate enough that a few doors opened to me and the, and the rest of the journey began. Is it fair to say that leaving Reading at 15, as you did, you went on to school and you say that you're a bit naughty? That doesn't surprise me because suddenly you're a 15-year-old kid and, and you're a young adult, you've dealt with puberty, or you're still going through puberty, and suddenly, life as you know it, Six years or so at Reading, was it? Yeah. Suddenly life, as you know it, stops, takes a dramatic turn. What does that do? Because I'm, I'm thinking about other kids going through academies as well, because this is not, not an uncommon story. No. But how did you feel and what do you do? How do you try and handle that? At the end, do you know, at the end of the, the six years at Reading, when I got released, the last, say, two months was quite difficult for me because I wasn't enjoying it no more. And it was kind of relief at the end a sad thing at the end of 15 when they released me it was kind of relief that it was was over 
Why of that you bit. Enjoying it? Is it? Just because I think where I didn't grow and I was playing against all the other players and, and stuff, I was all massive. I, I just wasn't. I didn't fill out until I, I was obviously in my late teens, and it just wasn't something that I was enjoying anymore. And I think that's why I was expressed to to parents and. To, the most you've got to have fun you've got to enjoy it because there's no point getting in the car with your parents and driving an hour up the road to go and do training at the end of the day you're not enjoying doing that you're not letting nobody else down by by telling them and that's what was a good thing for my mum and dad they they backed me 100 percent. and after that like i say everything just took off from there but the, the hard thing is, is is getting it across to parents that it's all just making sure you enjoy it as well as the kids because you don't want to be the one to be the burden saying, no, you've got to do it, you've got to do it, like ramming it down your throat because at the end of the day, nobody's going to be happy then. Do you think the academy system works? Do you think kids go into it too young? Uh, yeah. I suppose it's difficult, isn't it? Because yeah. we're here at Southampton, of course, great famous, academy. great yeah. academy, you know, famous academy, really, which has um, started the, the careers of, of, of many well-known footballers. But just reflecting on on your own yeah, experience, which, which which obviously wasn't here at Southampton. From my experience, if you spoke to me, I'd have a different look at it. Say, as James Ward Prowse, for example, yeah, he's come come for, and all the other names there is. For me, because it never worked out, I think yeah, it's not that I have dislike academies. For me, it never worked. But after I got to where I am for hard work, and they can be great things, but I do think we take kids too early, six, seven, eight, and nine. Even when I went to Reading at nine. Although it was great at the time, after learning from my experience, I think, yeah, maybe it was too soon. Maybe I should have stayed and played with my friends more at the weekends. Maybe I should have been able to play on my school team because you think that's a big thing. You go into school, it's great. You play football with them in the, in the, in the tennis courts and that. But when it comes to the end, you're, they're playing school matches and you're not allowed to play. I think that, that's quite hard to take. And then the other kids start thinking, oh, well, he, think, he must think he's better than us. And, and unfortunately, that's just the way kids think. Um, so, yeah, for me, I do think we take kids too early. I wanted to ask, because I'm not sure whether this is one of those things where people have gone, oh, you know what, Jamie Vardy came through the non-league route, so did Charlie Austin. Charlie Austin used to be a bricklayer, he's got a nice story, so has Jamie. They must have been childhood friends. Were you, or is this just a complete myth? Yeah, I didn't know Jamie. Uh, I didn't actually meet Jamie, really, until we played against each other. We both knew each other's story, and then we didn't really get... I was close as such, we didn't really have a real conversation until we both went to England that time, Mm. and that was it. I've just seen what he's done. It's been an incredible story. He's won the league. He's, he's basically lived everybody's everybody's dream, I guess. Fantastic story. And look, there, there's many players out there. Don't Mikel Antonio's doing it at West Ham now. Like I say, there's many players, many non-league players that just need to be given the chance. But we know how the way modern football's gone now. It, them chances are few and far between. Another former player that was here as well did it, Ricky Lambert, you know, the famous beetroot story, <laughs> working in a beetroot factory. Um, is there something that bonds you? So when you have that experience and you meet up with someone like Jamie Vardy who's taken a similar route, nothing will ever be identical because everyone's pathway is different, but is there a bonding experience over that? As a respect experience, definitely. Yeah, the respect is automatically there because you know, regardless of the work side, I was a builder, Jamie did his, Ricky did his, you automatically know that we've come from a different pathway and worked the hard way to get where we are. And I'm not saying people in the academies don't work hard to get where they are, but footballers, can't, we can't live in a bubble, we don't realise what, what the outside world is. Um, so that's always there. And then when you speak and exchange stories and when you talk about the non-league days when you've been in a tough situation, it, it does make you think, yeah, I was there, but now hard work's paid off. 
Yeah, because you have that unusual ability to know what life was like before and ha- what it's like to go and pick up a wage and how, if it all goes and what can happen with an injury and different things, that are just that flash moment, which could mean a career's over. Um, you know what it was like before. So it probably gives you a gratitude, yeah. an extra gratitude. Would you say that the family network that you have has been critical because you followed in footsteps with you, your granddad and your father played for similar teams? Yeah. I think so, yeah. Um, ever since I was young, I always had a ball. And me, um, like I say, my granddad and, and my dad played football. And, and my uncle Darren, he was down at down at Portsmouth and his brother was Brett Angel. So it was kind of always been in the family, uh, football. As a young boy, I think you always want to be a footballer until you get like a certain age. <laughs> Even in, in the single digits, before you, you're 10 or whatever, you, you want to be a footballer until... You find other things, oh, I don't really like that, I'm going to try something else. If you're sporty or not, you kind of think football is always one of them things at school that's are thrown upon on a, on a lot of people. And if you enjoy it, then great. If it's not, that's it. But I think I was always destined to, to play football, yeah. I'm going to flick back to the real life versus football life um, situation. Do you think it would be a good idea for young emerging players today to have a year or two years out learning a trade, doing something practical, not only to make sure that their feet stay on the ground, because, of course, who can blame these young kids? They're surrounded in a bubble from such a young age. Do you think that the league should think about something like that, getting them to learn a trade, getting them to spend a period of time out of the game. Yeah, and hasn't I saw something about Cardiff Met, that they're doing sort of a a degree, so they're actually educating footballers whilst they're playing and they get to play in the the first team and hopefully get scouted that way, but that's another avenue that people are going down. I think that, yeah, it's great to learn a trade, but you've got to think that these these under-18 lads that have just left school um, working here, they're trying their hardest to get a professional contract and there's no getting away from it their the ultimate goal is to get professional and uh, get the first team contract however you, you do need something to fall back on there's many many players that's been great through the their teens and then don't quite make it and then unfortunately they have everything has been football 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 but there's nothing to really fall back on I think that may be something there to to think for in the future that there needs to be stuff and I know the PFA and, and put all sorts of classes on for for our age but we do need to look after these these youngsters because it's a big wide world out there yeah. and you can live in a bubble. Like here, the F facilities here are fantastic. Everything, food, the drink, the training pitches, you, you name it, it's all, all done for you. In the real world, it's a lot different. <laughs> Is there an empathy then when, when we think about the women's game? Lindsay and I have, 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 have interviewed loads of female players and some of whom playing at the top level until recently were working just like you did. An hour's journey to work, an hour back and then straight into training in, in the evenings. And that's only really just, just, just changed within the last couple of years. So um, an empathy from you perhaps towards some of the female players who are still living that life or, or only just you know, recently finished living that life. Yeah, I just think there would be... It's grateful is a big word, and I don't mean it disrespectful to anybody else that hasn't done done that. But you do feel a little bit more grateful for what you've got, and, and like you saying in the female game, yeah, I think they would as well because it is a big part. If you can dedicate your whole your whole situation, your whole life to this one sport, then it's fantastic. But if you've got to go and work and, and get a wage to provide for your family and for yourself, and then go and do this. Sometimes football has to take a back step. But when you can then dedicate it to be your whole life, it's a massive thing. There have been times in your life when you have doubted your cause, doubted going into football. I read an interview 
with your dad. I think when you joined Hungerford, he said you found Friday nights. Yeah. <laughs> and so it yeah, sort of became yeah. a little bit difficult exactly. for you. I think, like I say, I was 15 when I left Reading. So you think I was a year 10 at school. I finished school and, and like everybody just getting old, aren't, aren't they? Do you know what I mean? They, they find different things. Um, I moved to Hungerford. I, like I say, I found Friday nights and, and that, I think that was my downfall. I used to go out quite a bit on a Friday before playing for Hungerford. I didn't really take it serious. Like I say, I just tried to earn a few few quid there. And it wasn't until I moved to Pool Town where it um, kind of the penny dropped. Not for no different. They played in very similar leagues, just different areas. I just thought, all right, I just, do you know what, I'm going to give this a right go. Just move to a new area. I need to show people what I can do. And, and I was fortunate enough to, to make that one little change of not getting out before a game made an absolute massive difference for me. And, and really, it changed my whole life. The Offside Rule exclusives are available to download for free via Audio Boom and iTunes. When was that moment that you realised, I've got a goal-scoring instinct? Because everyone talks about the instinct that you need in front of goal, and that's something that you've got to have. Oh, I don't know. I've always scored goals, you know, throughout my career, throughout being a, being a youngster. Something that I've always done, and I never even thought, oh, it's, that it's an instinct. It's just just happened. I've just managed to have this gift, I guess. Um, and many people have tried to to coach me and, and train me, but Eddie Al was the one. He kind of just let he just coached me what to do and get in different positions, whereas that helped me to the next level and the next level, which which is fantastic. I think as a goal scorer. You've either got it or, or you you haven't, and and for me, I, I kind of have it. But there's plenty of plenty of players out there that show that if you work as hard as possible, then then you reap the rewards. A lot of people mention about the timing of runs with strikers and the things that you're doing off the ball, as well as putting the ball in the back of the net. When you look at someone, I'm, I'm going to pick out an example, but you might have your own that you looked up to, but someone like Teddy Sheringham, mm-hmm. who's got that sort of footballing brain and knowing where to be when, and is that something that you've modelled yourself on with other other influences? Yeah, mine was Shearer. So growing up, Alan Shearer was, was the best. 260 Premier League goals, and I don't think anyone's going to beat it unless Parry stays in England. It's as simple as that. Um, so I grew up as that. For me, I based my ra- game around him, but the ball comes up to him, was hold it up, set it off, spin, get in the box. And for me, that that is it. If it comes up to me, some people say, oh, he's not interested in the player. Do, when the ball comes up, just don't do nothing, just give it back. Then for me, it's to, to help the team and score goals. And, and I'm, just, like I say, fortunate enough to create space for me, nowhere to go. And it's all about having great communication with your teammates. That's the main thing. You make the runs, they put the ball there and... and and the rest is history. You make it sound so simple, Charlie. <laughs> is there a secret in terms of your mentality? Have you ever stopped to think about or, or, or ever spoken to anyone about the mentality that you might have that makes you different in terms of you being a prolific goal scorer? You, you've, you've kind of never really dried up, have you, in terms of goals? Do you visualise it? Is there anything that you can put it down to? Or, or is it just natural? Is it, you know, is it a natural thing? I think it's a natural thing. I have this arrogance about me, I think, where every time I go across the line, I think I'm going to score. I think, yeah, give me the opportunity, I'm going to score. And I think that's that's what's helped me through the whole way. And it's not getting too carried away. It's just having that nice arrogance and that good arrogance that everybody needs, really. And as a goal scorer, you need that. If you think going on the pitch, doubting yourself is such, am I going to get the chance? Because when you're not scoring, you end up snatching at stuff, taking a little bit more time, uh, passing it. When you should take a shot on, passing it wide. But when you're in form, you try all sorts of stuff. Um, and for me, I always feel like that I'm going to score whenever I play. Do you think the occasion would never get to you? Because you've been called up for England. You've not, unfortunately, had the chance to put the ball in the back of the net yet. Mm. But when you've got that moment and that comes, do you think that occasion, is there anything that's going to... 
Oh, no, it's a tough question till it comes, isn't it? But, um, I don't <laughs> know. Playoff final with them, with them, Swindon. Yeah, that was tough. That was a tough one to take because obviously we did very well, scored in the, the semi final, got to the final. That was great. Go 1 0 down. And the old, the old build up to it was mad. I mean, I played my first game of the season for Paul Town against New Milton, I think it was in front of 60 people. And then I'm playing my last game of the season, which basically is a League One playoff final in front of about 70,000 people at Wembley. I mean, home of England, it was it was mad. All my family was there, superb. Go 1-0 down. I'm thinking, oh, wow, this is going on. Then I go through on goal with, with the goalkeeper and I put put one wide, I should have scored, bobbled out at me on the shin. And I was devastated. I really, I was devastated. I remember just seeing there was a woman just behind, just by the post and she just like looked at me with her hands on the head and I was like, oh my God. And still to this day, like obviously this of me. And then I had a chance right at the end where the keeper saved it. And just them things, it, it just, they're just like little stepping stones to make you a bigger character and a bigger person. And I think that's where my my ego and arrogance at the time, as much so it's very small, they, they took a little knock because at the top, when you think, oh, I'm going to score every time, you, you, if it was that easy, you'd be playing for Barcelona and would be the best in the world, you know? Um, and that was it. But I kind of grew off that game and, and it, I took a, a good step on. We should say that when you were at Burnley, you were matching Ronaldo and Messi, I think, goal for goal at one point, weren't you? Um, let's talk about Burnley. You make the move up to the Championship from Swindon, um, not via the playoff final, but but by moving to Burnley with Eddie Howe. A difference in setup again, it's another leap, isn't it? Did it fit right in with you, or did you have to make changes? I had to make changes. I mean, I, I dislocated my shoulder in, in the September, I think it was, against Southampton for Swindon. I rehabbed it all fine for then I make the move up to Burnley. Um, I played the champion. It was a big step, to be honest. I, the last 40 months, just went rocket up there. Now I'm playing the second tier of English football. And it was crazy. I played like four games and then I dislocated my shoulder again in training. So I had to have an operation. For them, like four or five months until the pre-season, it seemed like so long, mm-hmm. like a lifetime. But it was probably something that I needed. As mad as it sounds, it, I, I got bigger, stronger, fitter come back in pre-season and I was half ready to go I was up but I was nervous again because I still had to show them what I could do and that was it really I, I just took off and, and, and scored the goals it was a it was a good move for me at the time Bernie had just been obviously come down from the Premier League Eddie had just been I'd been his first signing it was someone that I really really wanted to work with because I couldn't sign for him probably 18 months beforehand is he one of a special or a group of special managers within your career? I mean, he's he's come in for you, I think, three times, a couple of times for Bournemouth at different periods um, and obviously was successful in getting you at Burnley. So you've not actually had a lot of game time with him, but is he someone who stands out in your career and is there anyone else, manager or, or kind of coach-wise? He definitely stands out for me because he, he was going to give me the opportunity when I was at Paul Town, so I'm forever grateful for him for that. And then obviously he took me to Burnley, gave me the championship one. For me, he's, he's so much special about Ed and I have a good bond with him and he deserves all the success he's going to get. And as someone that if I need any help with, for example, when it happened with West Ham, he was always there to call me to, to make sure that I was OK and, and advise me on stuff, what to do. And he, he is massive. But all my managers that I've had, they've all been good in a certain way Danny Wilson for taking the chance for me one that Eddie L couldn't do brilliant Eddie then taking me to Burnley was fantastic then when Sean Dyche came in I'd not had a manager like Sean before um, <laughs> I, I honestly hadn't and I, I, he, he was fantastic for me he he just took me to the, the next level with, with fitness wise and just showed me a different way of being a striker and I really liked working with Sean then when it didn't work out in in the summer with making the move he kind of just said to me look 
it'll all be okay, it'll all work out, everything will be fine. I went to QPR and he kind of just said to me, look, don't change who you are, what you're about, just just be you and take what you can, can there. People get moves and think they have to do something special. You just go and take your stuff and then learn from the other players. I went to Harry Redknapp, he, everybody knows about Harry, he was fantastic for me, built me up, gave me a load of confidence and I kind of thrived under him and, and got got my chance in the Premier League and the dream happened and that was it. Then, then I come down here and it's been fantastic since. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Offside Rule TV, for exclusive video football content. You talk about that boost that Harry gave you. I mean, that's where I originally met you was at QPR and pretty much every press conference he would talk about you and what Charlie Austin can bring. And since then, actually, Kate was saying that they did a forum with QPR fans and you're the one player that they all said that they would like to have back. Your time at QPR and that window that it gave you, how do you feel that that rests in your entire career, that time at QPR? And also, in terms of choosing times to move on from places, is that as important in a footballing career as when you move on and what the move is you make as anything else? Yeah, definitely, because you stay at a place too long and it not work out. Or you've got to, be, got to be brave and make the move. So when I left for Swindon, it was the right move because six months later they got relegated. So for the time, it was the right move for me to, to move to Burnley. QPR have gone into a team. They've just been relegated from the Premier League. It's very well documented in the world what the, what's going on at the club. However, the massive, massive players that was there. Um, and for me to fit in, I had to prove again because there's, there's England caps, there's international caps everywhere, Premier League appearances for fun. Um, and for me, it was fantastic. I had two and a half years there. I think I'd scored 48 goals in about 90 games for them. It was fantastic. I could then become a fan's favourite. They loved me there. I just felt it was the right time for me to go when I did leave there. It, it was tough for me to go, but it was, it was the right move for myself and my career because I needed to go to the next level. It, it felt at the time as well that there were a few players there that there'd been this crazy spending spree and off the pitch often footballers get asked do you ever get affected by what's happening off the pitch but given that situation it felt like there was a financial thing going on where could they sustain this the wages that some players were on yeah I think that, that was what it is and you, yeah, that was well documented the goalkeeper was earning triple figures it was it was everywhere like you say the club was well documented of how much money it was paying left right and centre uh, did it make an animosity in the training room not really but everybody knew when they weren't putting their weight it was, it was an easy one to say I was used to doing this this that and the other but I think at the time the club was troubled and I think when I come there I think a lot of people said like we give them a, a new belief and, and I was I'd love to say yeah I did I was just part of a, a good team that had great team spirit um, a good spine of the team and deserve to get promotion in the end. Do you ever speak to Harry Redknapp about horse racing? Because he quite likes it too, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, when I had my first winner, I'd played against Aston Villa in the Prem on the Tuesday. One, two, nil, I'd scored two. Then I had my first winner at Worcester on the Wednesday. This is Miss Sophie Rose, is it yeah. not? Yeah. And then I scored against Chelsea on the Saturday. Unfortunately, <laughs> we lost 2-1. Fantastic. I remember telling him, I'm going to Worcester. I've got a horse running. And he says, going to win. I said, I'm not too sure. I'll let you know. And he must have ran me like five times within about half an hour before the race. He says, it's going to win. I said, yeah, yeah, it's going to win. And then obviously she won. Fantastic. I had a lot of time for him. And it was something that kind of we spoke about away from football. You know, you don't always get that with managers. Normally it's just down the line and, it, and it's football and family and that's it. But we kind of had a different bit because of... Uh, the racing. Sarah Shepherd, who's set up a fantastic website actually called The Coach's Voice, has been guest editing. We always have a female guest edit every every podcast and she's provided some of the questions today, so we must say thank you to her. She was asking us about your golf as well. So you've got basically horses, yeah. well, <laughs> football, horses, golf, family. Yeah. 
we won't say which one comes yeah. in any order. Yeah. Tell us about this. Perhaps let's talk about horses versus golf. How yeah. much time do you get for each of those? And is there a bigger passion for one of those areas? Yeah, horses. I love to win. I just <laughs> want to win. So, um, but I've got a great friend, Paul Fisher, that he runs a syndicate that I run, XL Racing. Without him, my, my love for the game would have probably disappeared because there's, there's plenty of downs more than there is up. Um, but it's a fantastic sport. I meet mean, great loads of people, loads of young people, loads of older people. Um, it's something that I'm passionate about and something that I'll always be involved in. Um, it's so infectious. I think it's like you either love it or you, or you don't, really, and I certainly love it. I hear that Michael Owen invited you up to his stables, and uh, are they pretty impressive? Because fr- from all accounts, it's huge amount of land that he's yeah. got. I went up there, must have been when I was QPR, probably yeah, two years ago. Fantastic it was. Lovely facilities, and what he's done up there is incredible. Um, he's certainly got an empire up there for sure. In terms of golf, horse racing, and football, Sarah did say if you could only watch one of them for the rest of your life. <laughs> oh, look at the face. No, Which would it be? No, I don't actually like watching football. How Funny enough, you? I don't actually like watching football. I pimp. Uh, I watched. I was fortunate the other day. I watched Arsenal Chelsea when it was two all. Great game of football, wasn't it? <laughs> then I thought I might be the same. Watch them in the cup. It was nil nil. It was terrible. <laughs> and then I'll see what's Liverpool Man City. Yeah, so I'm not a. I, if I'm with my mates and we're out, then there's something to tell you, then yeah, great, watch it, but not saying I have on my telly at most. I'm wondering in terms of, everybody says that the goal scoring high you get is the highest possible, but then surely watching your winning horse go over the finish, yeah. like what, what's that? It was, when I'd scored on the Monday and I had my first winner on the Wednesday, it was kind of very similar feelings. <laughs> I've got to be honest, it was very similar feelings and I enjoyed it and I did, I wanted it to last forever. <laughs> Are you really immersed in that world now? Is that something that post-football, the horse racing could become the next thing? I think so. Uh, I think so. Although I'd like, as much as I do, although I'd like to, I'd like to coach. Coach, yeah, I think I'd like to give my, because of my experience in the upbringing that we come through, same as what Jamie's doing now, I think it, it'd be a shame to, to not be able to pass that on to, whether it's youngsters or, or parents, you know, that'd be something that I would, would try and look at look to get involved in if there was a way to to help anybody like that but yeah I think the racing will be a part of my life for a while and does that mean doing badges then soon yeah I, th- I think so it'd be something that you look at it's always nice to have them because you never know when you're going to get called upon is there a Charlie Austin's football school yeah I've got I've got one it's, it's uh, I took a lad from Swindon runs it for me actually it's fantastic the kids are the kids are brilliant without without the coaches that don't run they've got to make it to be a, a fun exciting experience for them um it's something I always wanted to do. It's a bit of fun local from, from where I'm from and the, and the kids really enjoy it. Does your daughter like it? I've got a daughter who just... Yeah. She's, do you know she's been to a World Cup final and she doesn't give a stuff for football? <laughs> Honestly, I just think yeah. to myself, she's seen so many brilliant Fantastic. things. No, I, yeah, she comes. It's only before and when I used to go to QPR, she never really liked it because she was only young. Now she actually loves it. Now sings all the songs. She thinks it's brilliant. She thinks it's brilliant. It's, it's, it's settled in now, but she don't get... When she's at school and the, and the the boys say your dad's Charlie Austin, she don't she don't get that. Yeah, she don't get that bit. She don't get that. You appear to have a, a real conscience about your your life and where you've come from and how you've got there. And I'm getting a real sense of that wanting to give it back um, from you. An interesting one. Looking at it, this is a completely different life to what you've had. But look at the the winners, the England winners. We've had under nineteen winners and under twenty one success. You look at those young players who've had success nationally and then are struggling with their club sides. Mm -hmm. And what would you do with those? It must be 
so frustrating. There was the there was the photo as well where they put their names on the front, and you sort of think, well, I appreciate why they did that because they may only have this moment. That's how it felt. Yeah, but then as much as you appreciate that, they're playing for the country, so mm-hmm. it, it goes two ways. But then the sad thing you have, and it goes for Germany, it could go for years and years. Only a handful of them players may make it to the top, and and the others fall away. And I think that that's just part and part and parcel of football. I think that we do need to have, a, like I say before, we do need to have something for them. But I think football is just a one-driven sport. It's all about success. Um, and it's great to have it then in the 19s and the 21s. And hopefully we're going to have it in in, in the main squad. Um, but we just need to make sure they've got as enough support as possible. You've still got plenty of ambitions there yourself? Yeah, if it happens, then great. I just need to get fit. I've got every every belief in myself that I will score goals for this football club. Um and if the chance arises, I'll take it with both hands. Shall I tell you what the goalkeeping coach here, Dave Watson, said about you? <laughs> I texted Dave last night and said, right, what do I hit him with? But he's been really nice at, uh, about you. So let's, yeah. let's go into the mentality a bit. A real winner, yeah. he says, a real strength within our group, influential personality and character. Mm-hmm. So he's basically telling us there that you're a bit of a boss man yeah. in the dressing room mm-hmm. with your personality and with the example that you like to set. Yeah. Is that an important role for you now and also thinking about your career as it becomes yeah. more and more senior? Definitely. I, I learnt from, from someone that has an, a, a character that not everybody likes and he's a very good friend of mine, Joey Barton. He's a very good friend of mine and I learnt from him. Not everybody believed in what he said and what his actions were and if you didn't like him, etc. But when he was getting you up for a game, it was fantastic. Whether you liked him, whether you was with him or not, it was fantastic. You couldn't help but... We sucked into what he had to say. And it was something that I took on, really, and never really had to, to use until probably the, the last 18 months or so when we've, when we've needed the lift. And I've taken it well, and I think the lads kind of buy into to what I have to say because, like I say, I'm getting a, an older person, I'm getting an older player, and I'm experienced. And when you've got a big voice, you need to get the young lads on board. And when they get behind you and you train hard or you play hard in, in, in the game or just get up for a game with them behind you, it makes a massive difference. Or if these young lads need to a pat on the back and say, yes, come on, or they need to go the other way and you need to, you need to turn them off, then, then it's what they need as well. But they kind of, for me, when I do that, I see a difference in them and it, it kind of gives me a, a little bit of buzz. So I think, yeah, I've got the respect of the team. Your mentality, what you like to do aside from football or even as at the moment you're recovering in an oxygen tank. Yeah. So you take a book in with you, you take yeah. some, as you told me earlier, rubbish, yeah. rubbish TV in. Yeah. Um, but in terms of interesting people that, that kind of you like to take an example from or, mm. or read about, you're, we're reading the latest Paul Kimmage book on a rugby player. Tell me, tell me what about that story appeals to you. And, and, and also, you know, in the modern day, to have a player who still reads books, forgive me, but that's pretty unusual. He'd have got that from Joey Barton as well. Joey was always reading. <laughs> Philosopher says, no, do you know, when I got injured, I thought I'm going to get into a book, but I didn't want to get into an autobiography as such. I didn't really want to get into a big autobiography and then flick through. And then the medical staff, Tom, they said, I've got a great book for you. Give it to me and said, let me know what you think after. This thing's incredible. Matt Hampton is uh, inspiration to everybody that thinks it's easy to give up and we should just give up and that. But he's fighting on. You've got to live your life to, to the full. And, and he wanted to win. And like I say, he was the under-21 England tight-head prop and just split of a moment, it's changed his whole life, his whole family's life. Uh, it just made me think, it made me realise that I c- anything's a limit. Just try as hard as you can. His story is inspiration, inspirational. Anybody that's been lucky enough to read it or get their hands on a book, then uh, 
would say the same thing because as much as it's a sad story, on the flip side of it, it's a fantastic story and gives everybody kind of a big lift or a big kick at the backside when they feel down and think they've got been hard done by this guy was meant to be the next best thing. And in Charlie Austin's book, what are your split moments? What are those moments oh, for you? Split moments. Friday nights. <laughs> Friday nights, moving to, moving to Burnley when I was 21, having to grow up. Um, then going to QPR with the big characters. Yeah. Big characters. And then being linked with about 17 of 20 Premier League clubs in the summer and then not getting that move. And then finally getting the move I, de- I felt I deserved in January. Can you only really do this now? Because you said earlier that you didn't have an agent yeah. when you went to Swindon. But can you only really do it with an agent now? It's hard because my agent's my best friend. He was my best man at my wedding. So it's, it's, it's difficult because you hear so many stories about, about agents and what, they, what the free for of it is. It's basically dog-eat-dog dog world. Where my, I don't see mine as an agent. I see him as, as my best friend and he, he look, he's a godfather to my kids. So it's, it's different in that way. But without him, when it comes down to nitty-gritty stuff with, with, with contracts and stuff, you can use lawyers, but you need someone you can trust. You need, you need somewhere that you know has got your back and, and do the best for you. In this hypothetical world of the Offside Rule podcast, uh, we're going to let you broker your own deal here in terms of playing alongside someone. So current footballers in the world, who would you choose to be alongside right now? Oh, Messi. For me, I've always been a big Ronaldo fan. Big Ronaldo fan. However, Messi... You just chose Messi. I have. <laughs> However, Messi is is the best player. People go on about seeing Maradona years and years ago. For me, this guy's broke every record there is. To play alongside him would be fantastic. And you think he could bring it to the Premier League? Because that's the one question mark many people have said. Yeah, but who knows? Who knows whether he could bring it to the Premier League? All I know is that he's the best player I've ever seen kick a ball. <laughs> um, we have a group of fans that um, have followed you all the way through your career. That I think it was from Paul Days. You might even be in touch with them. I know that you're in touch with Tom Killick still, aren't you? Mm-hmm. I think you got a stand as well that the the the, <laughs> the fee that was yeah. they, they got some money from one of your sign-on mm-hmm. fees. Is that right? Yeah, I still play golf with Tom. I spoke uh, to him last week actually. No, fantastic. Yeah, when they built all the stuff, they had to name one after me for some daft reason. <laughs> but fantastic, great club. They deserved every success because when I left, they actually won the league again two more times they won it three times on the bounce I think they're finding it tough this year but however what a fantastic club and they were so inviting for myself and my family considering we'd come from come from Hungford and just moved down there they was brilliant um, and they'll be close to my heart because they give me the chance to, to prove that I, I was better than what I was showing and I'm, obviously I give them plenty of money to, to get where they are now. <laughs> no, I don't know whether they had a wager on Miss Sophie Rose. Uh, as close as they follow your career, they seem to follow everything else. Uh, they did have a wager on you, um, which could pay out at some point. You know about this. Yeah, with England, isn't it? A player of England, yeah, I see. Um, with Gem Racing, I think it's £155 or something. And they, mm. they went 8500 of some sort. Yeah. I think so. Some, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> something like that. And I was devastated. When I didn't get on for me, I was gutted because they were getting <laughs> cut. Of course, everyone wants to represent the country. But for them, it would have been lovely. little gold mine for them, wouldn't it? Fantastic. That's, that just shows that was, <laughs> they all chucked the money in for a bit of fun. Didn't really think it would happen. But then they would get, get so close yet so far from, from getting that money. But like I said, the fantastic people down there. Fantastic. So you talk about that woman's face behind the goal and that always being ingrained in your mind, but I'm wondering whether, like, as you're putting on the English oh, show and yeah, going out, that's definitely. just in your... Yeah, definitely, definitely. They, they, um, 
I know, I know it's got, it's going on. It was well document, it was well documented that they was gonna get a few quid if I, I played for England. Um, but that's just part and part. It was just a bit of fun. Well, just bring it full circle now. You're at Southampton, mm-hmm. enjoying yourself here. You're near your family. You're nearer your family than you were when certainly when you were up at Burnley. Yeah. Is is this feeling like final club for you? Football's a funny old game, as we've seen, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Anything can happen in football. Um, but I'm happy here, definitely. Like I say, I'm, I'm in the middle. I can go back to, to where I'm from, 20 minutes away. I can go to my parents, which is like 40 minutes away. Fantastic. Love it here. It's, it's really progressed me on as much as I've had two, two nightmare injuries. I've, I've, when I've played, I've still scored the goals. I think I'm 16 goals and about 20 starts for the club. So for me, I... Um, it's been great for me. Just hopefully I can get fit now and finish the season strong. It's a great club to be a part in. All right, it's not going great so far this season, but we've definitely got the belief in the team to, to push out of this sticky situation. The Offside Rule Exclusives is produced by Offside Productions and edited by Lucy Lavery. Sports Social Podcast Network.